Christmas. And here we are on the Sunday before a new year. Did you know that it's almost New Year's Eve and almost the beginning of a new year according to our calendar? Crazy, isn't it? It, Doesn't it seem like it was just yesterday that we were stockpiling bottles of water and spam and Vienna sausages in our basements for Y2K? Anybody want to admit that downstairs in your cellar you still have stockpiled things from 1999 that you were ready and willing that as soon as the traffic lights stopped working you were going to have enough for your friends and family and your neighbors? Okay, nobody. I told first service that somebody in second service was going to admit to that and then I was going to go prove it with pictures from their basement. It just seemed like just yesterday that we were worried about all that would be taking place in the year 2000 and here we are 15 years later 15 year, 15 years past that crazy transition and we're all still here. And a lot has taken place in 15 years and I would dare to say that a lot has taken place in the last year alone. Uh, Pastor Bob and I exchanged texts on Christmas Eve. We had a conversation, a phone conversation first on Christmas Eve and he said, hey, I'm not, it sounded more like this, hey, I'm not doing so great. And I, I said, well, who is this? You know, number one, why did you steal Pastor Bob's phone? And uh, he said, I don't know that I'm going to make it to Christmas Eve. And I said, don't. We can celebrate Hanukkah without you. It'll be great. So he didn't show, and we didn't celebrate Hanukkah. We had a wonderful Christmas Eve service together. And uh, then yesterday morning, we were still visiting with my family in uh, the Lewisburg area. And he texted me yesterday morning and said, hey, uh, you're on deck because I'm still not doing well. So uh, here we are. And uh, in, in, in my hopes uh, 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 of preparing a message in, in a short amount of time, and I, I kind of assumed that some things could happen along those lines of Pastor Bob still being uh, ill, so I've been chewing on this idea of a, of a message for this morning, should I need to, to, to preach. And uh, I, w- I would love to bring some, some whiz-bang awesome idea before us that has never been preached before. I'd love to, uh, to have some kind of a perfect message to wrap up the year 2014 and launch us into the year 2015 with some obscure passage from some obscure book of the Bible that we never preach about. But my wife wouldn't let me preach the Song of Songs this morning. Some of you are like, Song of Songs, I should probably look that up. Yeah, you should. I would love to have some awesome message that just wrapped up perfectly and launched us into something specific. But there's a passage of scripture that I can't seem to shake. And it's Jesus' words about what it really means to be a follower, a true representative of God. To follow Jesus Christ, Jesus has given us some uh, ideals. Jesus has given us the the meat and potatoes of what it truly means to follow him. Because I think we, we would all come to a conversation if we were asked privately or publicly, what does it, what does it look like to follow Jesus? And we would all have some different aspects. We would, we would have some different characteristics of what a Christian should do or shouldn't do. Or what a Christian sounds like, smells like, speaks like. What a Christian listens to, what a Christian associates with, we would all have these uh, ideas and we would build this character of what a a perfect Christian would look like. But I think sometimes we've overcomplicated some things and we've added to and subtracted some things and we need to go back to the basics again. And so I want us to, together, to look at what Jesus makes clear that a Christian should be focused on as a follower 
of His. And our first passage of Scripture is one that is very familiar to you, I'm sure. It comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 35 to 40. Jesus is talking and He's answering a Pharisee here, a religious person of His day, as He says in verse 35, listen to the story. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So as as viable of a project, us creating the perfect Christian on a, a big piece of poster board and saying what all a Christian must represent and what all a Christian must do to represent Jesus well. We go back today to the words of Jesus and I think in a, in a paraphrasing idea, if Jesus were to be asked the same question, what must a Christian look like? Jesus would simply answer, what must a Christian do? Jesus would say a Christian must love. A Christian must love. And Jesus doesn't only draw our attention in this passage of Scripture. He isn't only answering that a Christian or a a follower of God must love the Lord God, which is an important thing, right? Jesus isn't saying the only thing you must do is love God. He quickly says loving God is of first importance and the second thing to do It's to love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus doesn't only draw attention to loving God, but to love God first, and then to love others. And friends, as we approach a new year, I I, I think it's important for us to to admit that there is a, a cultural norm of setting for ourselves these New Year's resolutions. Uh, of saying we need to do some things better than we did last year, and so we're going to lose 250 pounds as a congregation. We set some resolutions to say, well, I'm only going to watch this much TV. And statistics throw those resolutions right out, don't they? And so this morning, I I don't want us to resolve to do some things better. I, I want us to understand that Jesus has mandated us to do some things. And for us to understand what it truly means to love the Lord our God first and to love our neighbor second, to really live love, I want to look at the second passage of Scripture of the Apostle Paul as he wrote to early Christians. And he wrote to these Christians, and it's not its not simply enough for us to look at a passage from the book of Romans this morning and say, okay, uh, God inspired Paul to write to these early Christians, and this is a passage for them, and we can look at this and we can say, oh yeah, they needed that. They, they did some things wrong. Friends, we do some things wrong as well in the church of Jesus Christ today. And we need these reminders for our lives and our hearts as we wrap up a year and launch into a new year. Allow these words to penetrate your heart from Romans chapter 12. Paul, inspired by God's Spirit, wrote these words. In verses 3 through 19, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. 
according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Would you pray with me one more time? Lord God, convict our hearts through the understanding of Your Scripture. Allow Your Word to penetrate our hearts on this day and challenge us in real ways. In this service we pray. Amen. Uh, friends, I want to describe, I want to give us uh, an, an idea of understanding this morning as a, uh, a resolution revolution. Because our society, our culture puts so much emphasis in the need for New Year's resolutions, I want us to revolutionize that idea and understand that we can't simply add another bullet list within our long list of things we want to try to do better in the coming year. I'm not suggesting today that as a part of your New Year's resolutions, you attempt or that we attempt to love more. I'm going beyond that today and I'm stating here and now that if our lives don't reflect a life of love, we are living a life contrary to what the Word of God says that our Christian life must look like. This is not a negotiable idea for us to live out love. This isn't something that we should only do when it is convenient for us. This isn't something that we should only do when it's been preached in a a sermon series. This isn't something that we should do when we're often reminded of it. This should be the hallmark. This should be what we are known for as Christians. Yes, these are strong words from your pinch-hitting pastor this morning. But I believe God is convicting us as a body that we aren't called to occasions of love. We aren't called to opportunities of love. But rather we are called to a life that represents love. So on this final Sunday of 2014, allow me to remind us together of three, not simple, but three simple ideas, but three Ways that we truly can live love as Christians. These each come from Paul's inspired words. The first is this, to love for real. 
The Scripture says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. This was the first point. That we have to have love that is genuine. It must be sincere. We are to love for real, authentically. I believe that our society today is filled to the brim with a, a false love or a fake love. And we are bombarded by all sides of forms of media, by what the world thinks that love is to look like. And these aren't just the sexual images that our culture uh, throws our way every second of the day but more so the, the, the very misuse of the word love. How many times are we treated to a, a love relationship on the screen? In a, a television series or a, a movie or in, in popular culture, we just see love displayed in a, a blatant misuse of the term. Love relationships on television and movies are often little more than one night stands. And how many times do we have friendships that are uh, uh, distributing or, or displaying love? And these friendships often end within these media contexts. They get ended and they are ripped apart by gossip or slander. This love that our culture tries to spin as true love is a blatant misrepresentation of what true love really is. Many of us are guilty of living similarly. Yeah, we've just passed through the biggest holiday of our year, right? Christmas was exhausting. Christmas was often, maybe in most of your families, filled with other family members. We've had family in our home and we've had, we've been in uh, homes of family, right? We spent a lot of time with family and I don't know about your family, but my family, we, we say I love you a lot. We say it often. It's one of our parting greetings. We say I love you. We kiss on the cheek and say goodbye. But how many times, if that's part of your family, how many times can I admit uh, that other people do this so that I don't get in trouble for it? How many times have you gotten into the car and closed the door and backed out of the driveway? Or how many times has that family left the house and you've shut the front door and pulled the curtain shut and instantly gone on a tirade about how awful that visit was? Yeah, there's a couple chuckling over here because you don't have any of that family here. That's good. Have you ever been guilty of doing that? You say, I love you. It's so good to see you, Aunt Ethel. Aunt Ethel was a safe name to use in first service. I hope it's still safe to use here. It's so good. We're so glad that you came over, Aunt Ethel. It's so great. You're, you're a wonderful lady. And then you shut the door. She's gone. And you start talking about how bad she smells. We have this false sense of love that says, I can say I love you, and then as soon as the doors are closed, as soon as the person is away from us, we can go back to our regularly scheduled programming and start talking about how we really don't love. And I think we need to admit that we have children, we have generations that are uh, coming up behind us that are sensing this false sense of love, not just from the, the media that we can preach about and talk about, but they see it in our everyday lives too where we say one thing and we act a completely different way. Jesus wants us to understand that to truly love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself requires us to live a love that is real, that is sincere, that isn't two-faced. It's not a fake take off the mask when it's convenient. It is a love that is genuine. Can you, friends, 
Can we imagine what our lives would be like if we truly loved genuinely at all times? We all probably know people who love more genuinely than we do. And we look to their lives for inspiration and we think, oh, I love the way so-and-so loves people. I want to admit to you today that I want to be the kind of person that loves more authentically, more real. I don't like the idea of loving someone for a moment and uh, when I'm face-to-face with them and then closing the door and being honest. Let's love people authentically and real. Secondly, this morning, we are called to love humbly. If we are to live love, we should be living a love that is humble. What does humble love look like? It has to start, I think, by doing something contrary to how we seem to be wired as human beings. The Apostle Paul says to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse there in verse 14. If blessing those who persecute us is not a picture of humility, I'm not sure what is. Humility is one of those lost arts of our American culture and within the church that we experience. With a culture that tells us that more is always better and that the the more we accumulate, the better off we are, it's hard to think of ourselves as putting others' needs before our own because we've been brainwashed to believe that we are number one. But here in Romans, Paul is giving us some practical ways to live love Humbly. He says to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And we do that, right? We love to come alongside someone who is winning at life. Someone who's experiencing great things. And we love to put our arm around them and say, oh, I'm so happy with you. I'm so happy for you. This is great. And we oftentimes come alongside someone who's going through a rough time and we we try to love them. We try to put the arm around and say, ah, but sometimes we get this one wrong. Sometimes we come along someone who's mourning, and I've seen this, and I've done this. We put our our arm around somebody who's having a rough time, and we say, it's not that bad. Or, I've experienced something myself. (laughs) And we launch into this tirade about how bad we've had it. As someone is mourning, we try to one-up their low and say we've had it worse. And we are not... Loving humbly. We make it back about ourselves. To truly understand as we go into a new year what it means to love like Jesus, let's, let's love humbly. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. The second area he tells us in this passage is to live in harmony with one another. That humble love is also lived out by living in harmony with each other. And I believe the church as a whole does very poorly in this category. As the global church of Jesus Christ, we are often associated as being a part of being against some things. I think often we see within media a a spin on the church being against some things. And if they're not all against some things, they're against each other, right? And I think to point out the, uh, the, 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 to the, to the point of being known as being a, an anti-establishment. We are an anti-organization. We are anti-things rather than being the loving entity that Christ called us to be. 
I read a phrase this week, a sentence that just simply said, Jesus didn't tell us that the greatest commandment was to take political stances against things. Jesus didn't tell us that the greatest commandment, the thing we must be about, is being against things. He told us that the first thing we need to be about is loving. And friends, if I'm not doing so above average in the humble loving category, why is it easier to be anti-things? Our priorities need to be checked. We must live in harmony with one another, acknowledging Acknowledging sin as sin does not, does not need to look like anti-love. We must learn to call sin, sin, and still be filled with love. Paul says as well, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you are superior in verse 16. In this need for us to understand what it looks like to live and love humbly, this is probably one of the most obvious ways, the most practical opportunities within our understanding of our neighborhoods and our families and our society. We must be willing to be humble enough to associate with people of low position, to take ourselves off of that self-appointed pedestal and get into the gutters. Get into where the people are the least of these. Jesus was the supreme example of living this type of humble love. We read throughout the Gospels that Jesus fellowshipping with the despised, with the sinners. And yet much of us today within the church wait for these despised. We want for these despised people to come through those doors. And so we sit comfortably within our churches and, and we say, oh, I hope they come through. I hope they come today. I hope they're here. I hope those who are the, uh, the least of these will come in here and feel very comfortable. I hope they'll come in and I hope they'll hear the message and I hope, I hope, I hope. Jesus teaches us a different idea of what it truly looks like to love humbly. And He went to them He went and spent time with them. He was accused, rightly, of spending time with sinners. Spending time with the swindlers and the prostitutes, the drunkards. The least of these, the ones the religious of His day deemed unfit for worship. They didn't want them coming in. They wanted them outside. And Jesus was accused, ridiculed, pointed at for spending too much time with the least of these. And I wonder within the church if any of us would be guilty of the same. Displaying that humble love of our Lord and Savior. We have a lot to learn. Our priorities seem to continually be mixed up. And friends, we must reassess where we need to be individually in order to see the big C church change itself hopefully this morning each of us will take to heart some of these ways to practically act out the living of love humbly 
The third resolution revolution is to love always. To love unconditionally. This is yet another hard-to-imagine thought or aspect when our culture is jam-packed with conditions. We put conditions on our conditions in our culture, right? Uh, we buy a car with a warranty and we uh, think, oh, I'm getting a great deal. And then we go to get something fixed within the warranty. And guess what? That warranty had some conditions. And you actually pushed the gas pedal so you avoided your warranty. We just bought the kids, well, I bought myself, and I got the kids one, a metal detector. We got two metal detectors for Christmas. And I was very excited about these metal detectors, and I don't know, it's crazy, but on Christmas Day, I was reading through the manual of the metal detectors. And on the back page, there's a five-year warranty on our metal detectors. That's a pretty big deal for a piece of electronic equipment that you take outside, right? Five-year warranty. You know what it, you, you know what conditions are inside that warranty? Don't turn it on. It's not really, but it's, it's in there, right? If you have done anything that could have caused something to go wrong, we're going to not work through your warranty. It's funny, right? We have conditions within our culture, and so we are uh, brainwashed. Again, we are, uh, b- b- by, by nature, we are factoring in conditions on the way that we love, and uh, we know, we know of the deep, love of God upon all of humanity. And our response to that love in our communities, in our families, in our friendships, in our relationships, mustn't come with strings attached. We need to love because love is what points people to Jesus. Even in our marriage relationships within our society today, we roll our eyes as the, the media spins a, a, a new Hollywood, Brangelina, whatever the next name of people that are getting together and marrying each other. And we want to get the reports of what the prenuptial agreement is, right? It's a condition on a, on a contract that God has ordained and we give conditions to that. It's a ridiculous form of our culture. Of what we've grown to become as we think, okay, I can't have anything guaranteed, so I better make sure that there are some conditions. In this understanding of how we are to live love, we must love unconditionally. In this life of following Jesus Christ, we are called, better, better yet, we are mandated by God Himself to love always. Not just when it's convenient. Not just when the other person is going to love us back. And it makes contractual sense to love in this situation because I know it's going to be reciprocated. We're not called to just love when the the love is going to be noticed and picked up by the newspaper. We're called to love always. Paul writes to be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Never take revenge. Let God be God. But we, for some reason in our humanness, think that we can put conditions on when and where our love is going to be displayed. Sometimes we don't want to love some people. We don't want to love certain people in our culture, in our family, Because we don't know if it's going to be reciprocated. We don't know how it's going to be used. 
But we are called to live higher than that. To love always. To be known as people that love. There's good news in this. As much as we have been called to all of these things that we've talked about in the the past several weeks, and this morning, as much as we've been called to love to an extreme that doesn't make sense to our world, that doesn't make sense in some of our own skeptical hearts, as, as much as we've been called to all of these things, we have not been called to this pie-in-the-sky impossibility this morning. We've been called to love, and we've been empowered by God's Holy Spirit to do it. It's not impossible. Are we going to get it wrong? I did this morning. (laughs) I'm not telling you how. It's for another sermon. We get it wrong. We do it wrong. Our humanness comes out, but we have been empowered by God's Spirit to do it right. If you did something wrong and chose to never try that thing again, remember riding a bike? Remember falling off your bike? Some of you didn't fall off your bikes. I'm so proud of you. Anybody? You remember falling off your bike? I've got two kids who fall off their bikes all the time. They're not the most coordinated kids. They're cute, but not very coordinated. If I just let them get that wrong and said, forget it, let's sell the bikes. Would that, would that be the right way to do it? We know. Get back on the bike. Try again. Eventually, Dad will put a motor on it. Friends, in this, in this need, not an attempt, in this need for us to get loving right, we all know of ways we've got it wrong. We've done it wrong. We've put on the mask. We've faked it. We have done it not so humbly, not so unconditionally. We can't allow those historical references of where we've got it wrong or where our family got it wrong or where our church got it wrong. We can't allow those to demonstrate or to dictate how we are going to just stop it. We have to get on the bike and do it again. And we have been given a power that is far better than a dad holding on to the back of a seat. The Holy Spirit who guides our every breath, action, decision, if we will allow Him to speak into it, has promised to give us that power and to guide us. Praise the Lord. Jesus, in John's Gospel, chapter 13, reminds us, He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are My disciples if... You'll love one another. By this, all men will know. Hyde Wesleyan Church. By the way we live love, people will be drawn to Jesus Christ. So not because it's the dawn of the 2015 year. And not because sometime during the message someone looked at you to make sure you were awake and listening. But because you truly understand 
what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Resolve today to live love. To live love for real. To live love humbly. And to live love always unconditionally. And most importantly this morning, resolve to rely on the Spirit's guidance. The Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit. To make this not just a resolution that fades away in the first two weeks of the new year, but to allow God's Spirit to guide you, to nudge you, to prod you, to push you, to make this a possibility in your life immediately. Practice living love every day. As a family, live love. As an individual, live love. As a church, let us reach beyond ourselves and live love. Would you bow your heads with me? We wrap up 2014 and walk into a new year. I just wonder, within our group of people this morning, if the Spirit is convicting your heart in a specific way or a general way, that you too... that you too want to have a a resolution revolution in your life. And you, by the Spirit's power, will allow Him to help you to live love in 2015. Would you simply acknowledge that He's doing something in your heart by raising your hand for me this morning? Thank you, thank you. He's asking you to do something specific and you want to listen to His call. Let's pray. All around this room, Lord, men and women are responding to Your Spirit's convicting imprint upon their heart and mind to live out love. And Lord Jesus, I pray that collectively our church would live love in 2015. That You would show us in small ways and in big ways how we can be a part of sharing Your great love that all men would know who You are because of our great love. Would You help us, Lord, in the way we represent You to live love. Help us in our humility or lack thereof. Help us in our genuineness or lack thereof. And help us in our loving unconditionally or lack thereof. Give us Your strength by Your Spirit, we pray. Go with us Through this day and this week, in the powerful name of Jesus, we pray and ask all of these things. Amen. God bless you. See you next year.